Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast Isolation Edition. Um, Matt, Alan and myself are all safely self-isolating in our homes. Lads, how are you? Matt, you've uh, you've been suffering, haven't you? Um, yeah, no official diagnosis, but I've had no sense of taste or smell over the last week, which has been uh, an interesting experience. Uh, we concluded a blind tasting of some whiskey, which could have been uh, water. So that's been uh, quite fun. That's so grim. It's not. Like, I feel genuinely fine, but so I'm lucky not to have all the bad symptoms. But uh, yeah, it's not been that much fun. And Alan, how's um, how's isolation treating you? Yeah, it's all right. I have a pretty sedent- sedentary lifestyle anyway, so <laughs> uh, not really changed very much. Um, cat isn't particularly. Little Alan Jacobson's pretty angry that I'm around all the time. Yeah. It's all right, getting through. Yeah. Adam Sandler's back catalogue on repeat. I I think I'm about sort of like 27 Adam Sandler films down during sort of the, the two week period. <laughs> I'm up there, uh, Daddy Daycare for tonight. Favorite and least favorite. Uh, no least favorites. Um, <laughs> favorite is let's go with Mr. Deeds. Just a great wow. Nice. Dad, Daddy Daycare is um, not Adam Sandler, though. Sorry, <laughs> Big Daddy. That's, uh, that's Eddie Murphy. That Eddie is Murphy. also a great film, to be fair. <laughs> great is a uh, relative term, I think. Pixels number two. When it came out, it was a, it was a classic. Have you, been, have you been watching the uh, the Scottish rugby replays? 
I have. So I watched, um, well, I watched the second half of the Edinburgh Racing um, group stage match in 2011, I think, which was just like genuinely the most bizarre match. So Edinburgh went, Bister scored in the first minute. Edinburgh were 14 nil up very quickly. Then they went down to 20 points to 40 and then brought it back with uh, two late tries and two laid law conversions, both from the touchline, to win 48-47. Bonkers. And then I also watched the other group game with Racing the same year, which was at Racing, um, and Phil Goldman scored a last play drop kick to win the game by a point. Classic mighty Phil. It's genuinely ridiculous. The games are like, I suppose nine years in rugby is quite a long time because they're unrecognisable. Like the the ruck is a complete joke. Like the pace of it's so much higher because I think the defences aren't as good. It's yeah. It's bizarre. Did you watch the New Zealand game on Friday, Alan? Uh, as I watched the first half, um, although I, you know, as I've always said, I, I think it might actually be my favourite. Scotland game of the sort of last of the last sort of two or three years, maybe discounting uh, the Scotland England game from uh, from last yeah. year. Yeah. yeah. Also, quite like the kind of like white and purple kit we had that game. I quite like that combo. I don't know. I wasn't a big fan of it at all. But there's some <laughs> things that things things that stood out for me. Um, the classic issues that we still have of getting into 22s and like making a, a, either a bad choice or like a handling error. Because we had New Zealand under the cosh for such long periods and then just coughed up the ball. Yeah, no, that's true. Again, and, and I think one of the big things is obviously Mish went off after about 25 minutes and he was having an absolute blinder. Yeah, um, that, that was what I was going to say. Is my, my second observation was not a great Scotland team. I mean, I mean that front row. It's sort of kind of the names roll off the tongue. What What are you trying to say about Daryl Marfo? Hey, Daryl Marfo that autumn is genuinely unbelievable. I saw someone <laughs> someone on Twitter described it as the Marfo autumn, and I was like, that is exactly what it was. It was his. <laughs> we, if you uh, look back, um, two things that stood out to me were, firstly, Kieran Reid knocking the ball out of Batty's hands. Yeah. Score, so that should be a yellow card. And Nahola's hit on Hogg in the air is a definite red card. We lost you a little bit there, but I think you were saying definite red card. Yes. And I, I remember actually I was at the game and having a massive argument with another in the in the bar outside because he was saying it was a penalty and nothing else. And I was like, you have lost your mind. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, I, do you think it would be a red now? Because I was. You, you can't. I, you can't touch people in the air. Yeah. No, I get. I get that. It's, it's uh, so, so outcome based. You know, I think even in the, in the commentary, I think Andrew Cotter was saying it's just like if Hogg had landed on his shoulders or head, that would have been a straight red. But because he sort of landed on his arse or sort of like flat on his back. It was penalty only. Yeah, I think it would be. Yeah. I think it would be a cast iron yellow now, 
Um, probably was a cast iron yellow back then as well. But I, I don't know. I still think reds are so they're so dependent on how the person lands. Which is yeah. I mean, that's I think that's stupid anyway. Yeah, rightly or wrongly. I think, argument, I think the argument at the time was that Price had slightly pushed the hooker, so he yeah. like changed his line of running. But I mean, to, for that not to even be a yellow, I remember being incensed at the time, and I still kind of think the same. He absolutely whacks him. I'm watching it again repeat. It's <laughs> it, like it's, he kills him. <laughs> whilst whilst obviously did say that it is one of my favourite games the last few years. We obviously were we were discussing between us the the sort of mild sadness there is that the second classic game that the SAU decide to show is actually a game where we lose. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I, I I mean I. I I I made that joke and I was like, it is a bit. It's very Scottish, isn't it? You know, yeah. Glory is very glorious defeat. Um, but you're right though; it was an amazing game to watch. And you think just those disciplinary decisions in particular, if they'd gone the way of us a bit more um, forcefully, it could have been something else. Um, I thought I always thought Hoggy got closer to the line than he actually did, though. Barrett closes him down quite quickly. Yeah, and but the thing is, is you know, if it'd been sort of any other players apart from probably like Barrett and the back three, you think Hogg probably could have rounded them. It's just Barrett is ultimately as quick as a winger. Yeah, uh, true. And yeah. you kind of wish now, in reflection, that Hogg maybe had kind of just kind of taken the tackle and kind of we'd um, recycled it. But I think in that situation, Hogg's kind of just got always to back himself. Yeah, exactly. His hair was really bad back then, though. That's something that's definitely improved for Stuart Hogg. Oh, his lid was rough as. But then uh, also, he hadn't played that much rugby before that game because he'd been out for four months post-Lions. Yeah. Did you see um, Did you see someone put up... I'll put it on Twitter, actually. Someone put up um, a video of Stuart Hogg's debut against Wales. Yeah, no, I saw that. He had, quite, he had quite a lot of hair back then. Yeah. It's quite an interesting little watch, particularly his uh, his step with Jamie Roberts with this sort of first like major touch, and the commentators are all like, "This hog guy, is this there's there's something about him." <laughs> yeah. There weren't. There was. Uh, do you know who, who? And this may be for Dave. Do you know who the other player was that had their debut debut on the bench that day? When was it? Two thousand and fourteen. Uh, Dunky Weir. Dunky Weir. Is nice. uh, they were both on the bench together. Although I, I have to match, I don't know for a fact whether Dunkey Ware got off the bench that day. Well, there you go. I know I thought it was really good. I loved the Australia because I was at the Australia the Australia game that they showed last weekend as well. So I had never seen it on TV. I was at, we were absolutely awesome. Obviously against fourteen men, but it was uh, that was that was class. That that autumn. We we were we were something else that autumn. Yeah, and that was kind of you know that was kind of the beginning of the the two D era because you had and the then, and, yeah because you had the win in Australia in the kind of in that first couple of games and then yeah the autumn of um new, where they we just lost New Zealand and beat Australia and then the uh, the Six Nations after that where it was a bit mixed but you still had that win against England at home and win against France. So, how uh, how rosy things used to seem. 
I know. Um, yeah, damn. Damn. <laughs> it was, it's not, we've not really uh, carried it on, sadly. But I, I do think it's good. And what's the one today? It's, so it's Sunday afternoon, Glasgow, it's like Glasgow Leinster, isn't it? Glasgow Leicester. No, Leicester, sorry. I've obviously misread that, yeah, Leicester. Oh, oh when they put 50 on them at Welford Road. That'd be good. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're, doing, they're doing a decent job to d- dig out these sort of archives and things like that. It's quite... In, in difficult times, it is quite quite nice to look back at very rare Scottish wins. The uh, the one player looking at that Scotland New Zealand game and the Scotland and sorry the Glasgow Leicester game I think was will be on today that you just realise how good a player he was even like two and a half years ago is Dunbar. Yeah. Ah. Uh. So good with the ball and then in defence and just being that kind of. Would third flanker over the ball, unbelievably world class. Yeah, he also played in the victory over Australia in Australia, which I think yeah. people forget. And he was class. He he won the turnover that secured the the match right of the day. Yeah, and it's it's just strange how and you know, I, I wouldn't say he's sort of declined, but I guess it's just a mix of injuries and maybe he just wasn't able to play the kind of Dave Rennie style. Plus a mix of just Sam Johnson kind of getting a bit of form, just all seems to kind of kind of snowball together, and he sort of kind of ended up kind of being on the periphery of things quite quickly after being all so central to everything. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's strange. I, I wonder if there's a road back for him from Breve. What is he like? Thirty? Yeah, 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 yeah. He'll be around that, yeah. You know, he's not that old. <laughs> That's the thing. Um, it feels like he's still got a couple of years in uh, in his locker. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, guys have moved on. And um, one of the bits of news that's come out in the last couple of weeks is a new two-year contract for Ratu to give. Matt, what did you make of that one? Um, I still think he's a bit of an unknown quantity. Uh He's been at Glasgow for three years now, but he's only actually played 11 times. Uh, and it was obviously quite a big surprise when he got called into the Scotland squad. So, you know, he, he perhaps has some potential, but I don't think anyone's seen enough of him yet to make a, you know, a really informed decision. Yeah, he must be doing something right, though, because he was travelling as 24th man in the Scotland squad. So I guess, like, town, he... Maybe he's what Richie Vernon, when he was on the pod, was saying. He's one of like a coach's player, and he just like trains really, really well. And we and the the wider public never really sees it. I think, just, as Matt was saying, it'd just be good to see him get like a run of like five or six Glasgow games in a row. I think he's been a bit unlucky though. He's had sort of a lot of injuries over the last couple of years. But yeah, I don't think we've. And it's weird that a player has been at Glasgow for nearly sort of three and a half years. And no one really quite knows what he's about. Yeah, I, th- I think even sort of diehard Glasgow fans wouldn't sort of come out to to massively defend him, if you know what I mean. But clearly, he's got talent there, right? Like you know, they're not they're not going to just keep him on the books for you know three and a half, four years if um, if they don't think he's got kind of the potential to be a Scotland player. So hopefully. He does just get well. Once Corona is over, he uh, he'll get that run of games. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I suppose that's actually quite an, a nice inadvertent segue, um, the end of Corona. So obviously the, the, Pro, the Pro 14 has sort of indefinitely stopped at the moment um, with no date put on it for any sort of return. Um, Edinburgh topping their conference. I think Glasgow are sitting third in yeah. theirs. So, I mean, what do you think the options are there? Do you think they're just going to, are they just going to, you know, rule the thing null and void in which Edinburgh, in which case Edinburgh don't get Europe next year? Or do you think they will take the sort of standings as they are and maybe try and squeeze in some playoffs or something like that? I think there's, I think there's a very low chance that you're going to play out the rest of the regular season games just because of the amount of travel in the Pro 14. Yeah. I think ultimately a lot of, um, I think competitions that are one country or sort of domestic focus only are going to naturally just be able to start up again a lot quicker than kind of cross-border competitions. Um, so it feels like if there's any chance of the season going ahead, it would be some sort of taking the current rankings and just playing the playoffs from where they're at now, which just includes obviously um, United UK and Irish teams. Uh, so I guess I wonder, do you, you could do some sort of like use Northern Ireland as like a neutral zone and sort of kind of have like behind closed doors, like no, like Belfast kind of tournament? I don't know if um, proposing Northern Ireland as a neutral zone historically has gone down particularly well. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, mean, I mean, maybe I'm sure. I mean, we're completely in the sort of the lap of the gods in the hands of science and how well we all self-isolate at the moment. But say that we, that we can get going again in June, you could think they could get those those playoff games done somewhere. Yeah, in a in a safe environment which is obviously the most important thing and then because it would be such a shame if Edinburgh topping the conference they're sort of dumped on their arse and said well sorry another another year in the challenge cup for you guys yeah 100% and I think that 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 does especially for Edinburgh with the position at the top thus feels like completely unfair and I even think for Glasgow you know Dave Rennie's ultimately this is his final season it's probably the final season for a few of those few of those players I think I still think they feel with their position as third, they can still take anyone on their day. Yeah. So yeah. it'd be quite a sad ending to kind of the Dave Rennie kind of era, I'd say. Definitely. So I guess it's just a, a bit of a watching brief on that. I, I don't think Pro 14 have said anything for a wee while specifically on uh, on timings, other than they're just going to be led by uh, led by the wider situation. So obviously hoping that comes to a close sooner. What would you prefer to go ahead, playoffs for Pro 14 or Scotland summer tour? Pro 14, I think. Yeah. Because it doesn't feel like both now. Yeah. I mean, I think the summer tours are probably the, the, the least important games in the rugby calendar internationally, you could say. Yeah. Um, often and, used and they, for a bit of... Um, Travelling long distances. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're... We're due to go to what? Um, South Africa and New Zealand, right? Two games in South Africa, one in New Zealand. I mean, is international travel going to be back on by June, July? I think it's probably easier just to to bin them off and uh, uh, to focus on the, 
domestic in inverted commas for the Pro 4 team, but focus on that sort of stuff. And watch Edinburgh win it, you know? Exactly. No, I, I think I agree. I think broadly, everyone in rugby has kind of agreed that the uh, the summer tour is a very kind of a, an easy thing to to chop. Potentially, apart from like New Zealand and Australia, who are desperate for money. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. The people of the people of Invercargill not going to get to see Scotland. Dunedin, but yeah, oh, they, Dunedin. They, oh, sorry, yeah. The residents of Dunedin that have already bought their hospitality package to the Scotland New Zealand game. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, number about 10 people. Um, I suppose the other big discussion point around Corona and the uh, the sort of the continuing issues that it's causing to sports specifically are around pay cuts. So the RFU's bosses have taken a pay cut, and I think the same as the WRU, and it's rolling out now across teams. We were talking off air about Newcastle and the Championship sort of putting their players on sort of furlough for a few weeks um lots of chat or i don't know if it's lots of chat but a lot of noise being made about whether mark dodson who's famously paid quite well should be showing leadership in this and taking a bit of a pay cut and alan you led a bit of a spat with some uh, well-known scottish rugby journals earlier this week about that what 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 do you reckon i mean i, I think it clearly I think the SOU execs should follow their uh, counterparts at the RFU and the WRU and kind of take a sort of 25% pay cut or some sort of pay cut in the kind of challenging times, especially when clubs across are probably are struggling so much, you know, with the fact that the SOU have, give, have promised kind of half a million in a, in a hardship fund. I think yeah. uh, my my issue with Scottish rugby journalists was more more one of accuracy rather than one of them um, principle. Which uh, you know, when you're in isolation, you get a little bit bored. All right, you got to yeah. you got to go after people. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the, the 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 bigger question, and we don't know an answer to this, is that are we going to see Edinburgh and Glasgow players having to take a pay cut over the next few months? Yeah, I mean, quite quite possibly. Um, I think with the SOU as well, people um, forget that they were the first union to come out with a sort of club hardship fund um, yeah. at the start of this whole thing. So I, I don't think they've been sort of sitting around doing nothing. And I reckon the pressure will come on for them to cut those bonuses. Um, and I, yeah, I suppose that it's quite, it's, it's quite an easy way to save costs if you sort of, um, I think, I think, yeah, Newcastle are on unpaid leave, and one other Premiership club, who I can't think of now, have taken a 25% cut um, in wages. So, I mean, that seems like a pretty easy way to, to sort of cut back on costs. So, I wouldn't be that surprised. Yeah, I think we yeah, need to, right. we need to be careful about being too positive about the SRU, seeing as we got referred. Well, I think I, I specifically, but we were referred to as Mark Dodson's foot soldiers this week. <laughs> Which I feel like we've been critical enough of the S and Dodson in particular over the years. <laughs> but uh, no, we're we're obviously out in the trenches fighting the good fight for Dodson. Well, that what what those people on Twitter don't know is that he's already taken a pay cut. It's just it's gone straight to us. He's paid yeah. us off. <laughs> out of it. His twenty percent is currently lying in our bank account. So 
Uh, sorry about that. If there is a hundred grand in our bank account, I definitely do not know about it. So. Yeah, well, well, I'll bring it up at the AGM. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be another interesting one to talk about. Um, what else have I written down here on news? Um, oh, yeah, it was a few weeks ago now, but Scotland under 20s essentially winning one of the last games of rugby played before the lockdown. 52-17 in Wales in the uh, under-26 nations. And the, the highlights, are, it's a phenomenal performance. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I, I, can't, I can't think of another time that an under-20 side have put that many points on another team. Um, and particularly not away from home. Um, it's, a, it's quite a shame because clearly this bunch is, is quite a talented lot. But seeing as they're relegated from the Junior World Cup last year, they're going to be playing against some pretty um, woeful opposition. It's just yeah. a shame that um, the likes of sort of uh, Conor Boyle, Henderson, uh, Nathan Chamberlain, Robbie McCallum, who have liked the look of in the centre, um, Rufus McLean had a good tournament as well. It's just a shame we won't get to see them on the sort of the bigger stage. Yeah. A lot, lot of um, big ups for Ewan Ashman at, at Hooker as well, and and Rory Darge, the captain at at number eight. I think it is this the first sign of the Super Six delivering on something, and that maybe for the first time they looked physically a little bit more able to compete with the naturally larger sides of like England and France. Yeah, I think I, I think it's a fair. I mean, obviously, it's it's one year, right? So, and we yeah. we've had kind of good good years in the past. I think it was, was it three years ago when we had um, sort of Kinghorn and Matt Ferguson in that team. They they were able to yeah. kind of compete with the big players, but you know, a lot of those players in the starting under twenty team are either starting or in squads for the Super Six teams, and you look at. Conor Boyle, Roy Dard, etc. And they are playing kind of week in, week out at that Super 6 level. And do seem to be able to compete a little bit better with the kind of other Six Nations packs where we've kind of notoriously slightly looked underpowered. So I think yeah. there is there is an argument to be made, but it's probably just a little bit too early to tell. Yeah, I think... Yeah. Um, I don't think all those guys are even still playing like week in, week out for the under twenties. They're often on the bench as well. For for in Super Six, sorry. So they're often mm. but but maybe it's like the the sort of overall higher standard of training that's leading to those and, and sort of more um consistent sort of strength and conditioning sessions that's making a bit of a difference. Yeah. And, and lest we forget, um, the Super Six has already developed its first um, pro, its first pro rugby player, and Gordy Gordy Reed picking up a picking up a contract down at Northampton Saints. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's a fairy tale story, that. Glory like, pretty yeah. good gig. Yeah, he's coming for there's been serious, I think, injury cover, but why not? Good for him. International standards, Lucy, or well, he was once. Um, yeah, good for him. So that take that the super six haters. <laughs> I guess you know what I get one of the things that South Africa, especially winning that World Cup final just sort of showed how important the set piece is. And I think, you know, ultimately with, with Gordy, whilst his loose play is not not particularly sort of high quality anymore, the man can still hold up a scrum, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think one of the one of the issues that the Northampton Saints have had, especially in the last kind of month or so, is they've just been getting utterly dicked on in the scrum. And it's just kind of been completely sort of ruining their kind of whole kind of wider game plan. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so what else have we got on the docket? I know this is a little bit of a, a mishmash of an episode, but we're doing our best here in isolation. We put something out on Twitter yesterday, a bit of a discussion point that we want to cover off. Who do you think, and Alan, I'm going to come to you first. Who do you think is the best signing that either or or um, Glasgow and Edinburgh have ever made in terms of sort of impact and uh, what they delivered for the club? Should we do it one club at a time? Okay. Well, so let's start with let's start with Glasgow then. And Alan, why don't you give us your the best signing you think Glasgow have ever made? So I think. I mean, for Glasgow in terms of signing, so I'm going to exclude any players that have like come up through the kind of Glasgow slash SOU ranks. Yeah, and I, I think just it's think... got to be an external somebody they've gone and got and brought into the brought into the club. Yeah, I, I just think I don't actually think there's anywhere else apart from uh, Leone, but and maybe it's maybe oh, that's not fair over the longer term. But I think for that kind of three-year period that Nakawara was at Glasgow in terms of what he was able to do and what he brought to the club versus the sort of players that Glasgow had at that time and what he was able to deliver in big matches, you know, specifically Pro 12 final, where he was genuinely unbelievable. I think I, I don't see any other player that's had such a big impact on Glasgow because I think you can you can pick players like Tommy Seymour, DTH, um, etc., who who have been unbelievably great and have influenced Glasgow in their own way. But it just it it doesn't feel like, especially for that 2015 win, that it, I just don't think Glasgow could have done that without Nakawara. Um, whereas yeah. potentially Glasgow could have. D- could have gone on to win that match 
without some of those other players. Matt, what did you reckon? I was really enjoying I think you called him Nakarawa and then Nakawara about five different times. <laughs> uh, that was enjoyable. Um, yeah, no, I, I'd agree with what Alan says there. I think that um, the you could you could argue this about Nakarawa, Nakarawa as well, that he sort of came out of nowhere. And I think that Seymour and DTH are kind of the same in terms of, you know, C, um, DTH before he went to Glasgow um, played a bit in Canada and he played like one game for Saracens and then he went to Glasgow. And probably at the time, I'm sure that we were like, who, who on earth is this random guy? Like, what's the point? And I'm, I'm sure there was criticism about him maybe taking a young Scottish winger spot at Glasgow. Um, but the the amount that he's given to that team in terms of prize and, you know, big performances, like he scored in the Pro 15, uh, Pro 14 final. Um, and then I kind of think you can say the same about Tommy Seymour. Like, for the plucks and obscurity, had played a bit for Ulster, um, but Clearly, Ulster thought he wasn't worth sticking with. Um, you know, he played like seven times for Ulster, and then Glasgow think to take a punt on him, um, and he ends up scoring um, almost 40 tries for for Glasgow so far, and still still going there. So, I think those guys are definitely in with a with a shout. Yeah, uh, I think those are the, those are surely the surely the main ones. The other one that. Obviously, the oracle of um, of uh, Glasgow Warriors Twitter, Kevin Miller, made a f- full-throated um, pitch for um, Al Kellogg, who obviously came came down the M8 from Edinburgh. Uh, 152 games he played for Glasgow as captain, um, and he was really sort of the man at the heart of that maybe not the most talented player in the world, but in terms of leadership, he was taking Glasgow through that amazing period of growth. Um, or um, something like Nico Matuwalu. Had Glasgow ever seen anything like Nico when he first joined? Sort of that chain. The, the funnest signing Glasgow ever had. Yeah. Most most, the most, yeah. Who do you think okay, is the, um, interesting one. Yeah. I mean, I think Big Big Al went on to captain Scotland a few times as well. In terms of just sort of a fairly totemic figure in that Glasgow squad driving them forward, he was right at the heart of it all. So, worth the thought. What about what about Edinburgh? Matt, come to you first. Um, I think once again, it it boils down to the, the sort of nominees of players that. You know, when they were originally announced as signings, we were probably a bit lukewarm about. Um, I mean, let's take maybe WP Nell. I mean, I think he was a, a well-regarded player uh, for the Cheetahs, but I don't think he'd ever sort of been talked about in Springbok circles. Um, and once again, there's sort of that argument about you know, people being a bit dis- dissatisfied with the project player from South Africa. Um, coming over and you know sing, playing sing national anthem and everything, um, but I think he's been like an extremely durable, uh, consistent high performer for Edinburgh for for quite a number of years now, um, and I think you know he's been at sort of, sort of that solidity in the scrum has been uh, at the centre of quite a few big Edinburgh and then 
Scotland win as well. Yeah, he was. He's, he's an interesting one because he's obviously contributed at the national level as well. A lot of love on the Twitter when we put this question out for Todd Blackadder, Blackadder, the the former All Black who came over and he kind of. It was the first sort of star signing Edinburgh ever made. They were still playing at Marseille back in the day. And I remember it caused like a big sort of, a huge sort of uproar in Scottish rugby circles. But I can't remember whether he was that good on the park for Edinburgh because he was very much at the tail end of his career. I, I, I think he's probably... Sorry. I to go no, no. I was just going to say, I think he's almost a little bit of an Al Kellogg character. Yeah, where he potentially, you're right, his impact on the pitch wasn't as huge as some other players. But I think in terms of overall sort of character and being a bit of sort of a, a leader within the team, I think he was a massively important important player. I, I can remember watching um, Blackadder when... Uh, I was too young to sort of probably like fully appreciate what rugby was all about. Um, I do remember my dad saying always like watch Todd Blackadder, like watch the stuff that he sort of the unseen stuff. Um, and he was just he was just like, a, you know, an absolute workhorse and had a really good rugby brain, as you'd expect from a New Zealander. And I think you're right. I think he probably, by the sounds of it, sort of raised standards, raised um, sort of how professional Edinburgh were at the time. Um so I think he's he's got a shout. I think you know Bill Bill Matt is another one who sort of plucked from obscurity. I mean, I'm just trying to find out like his background at the moment, but it, it seems as if he hadn't really played any professional rugby before he joined Edinburgh. Like I think he, he mm. played in he played in that Fiji squad um, that won the Olympic gold. And uh, in Ben Ryan's book, he talked really, really highly of him, just being this uberly naturally talented, incredible athlete. Um, but I still think at the, at the time it's sort of a risk to sign a, an unknown guy who's only played sevens rugby. And some of the stuff he's done for Edinburgh is just no, no one else um, yeah. that Edinburgh probably ever had uh, can, can offer what he does. So I think he's definitely in the conversation. I think there's a decent shout for Tim Visser at Edinburgh as well. Tim Visser is going to be my shout. 130 appearances. I'm looking at his Wikipedia. 345 points he scored for Edinburgh. I can't so, quite off the top of my head work out how many tries 69 that is. 69 tries. 69, 69 tries. tries. And That's he was top, top try scorer in the Pro 12 in his first, second and third season at Edinburgh. And that's that's when Edinburgh were consistently finishing towards the bottom of the pile. Yeah. And I think, like, once again, sort of he's a guy who had played... You know, he played a couple of years at Falcons and had a good try scoring record there. But once again, you sort of signed him and people are thinking, why are we signing this like random Dutch guy who isn't Scottish qualified? Yeah. He's sort of like, yeah, like like Tommy Seymour, I suppose, sort of plucked from obscurity and got on to be a really, really effective player. I think it'll be interesting to have this conversation in a couple of years' time because obviously it's too early to, to talk about it. But if you look at People like Pierre Schumann and Duhan van der Merwe, who've come in in the last couple of years under Edinburgh, the impact they make to the current team. If yeah. they continue at that trajectory and maybe go on to, to get Scotland honours as well, 
it'll be interesting to see how these signings that have been made under Cockers, who incidentally a lot of people say is Edinburgh's best ever signing, um, will will sort of will look back in in the in years gone years to come that they might be sort of real top level Edinburgh signings. We'll be interested to hear. Get onto Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod and let us know if you've got any other names to chuck into the mix, but. We never like to focus on the positive of Scottish rugby for too long. So, Matt, I'll come to you first. What about, like, the worst or the weirdest signing that either Glasgow or Edinburgh have made? This is where you're doing a new spot for choice. Um, <laughs> I think one of the weirdest signings for Edinburgh, the two, was I think it was either Bradley or um, Alan Solomons that sort of started their reign. They signed that guy, Jonathan Yap who was like the Welsh prop from, from Cardiff for some inexplicable reason. Um, and he was absolutely terrible. And then they also signed an Argentinian prop called, I think it was Gamboa, Ulysses Gamboa. Yeah, what was his name? <laughs> I, think it, I think it was Gamboa. And I remember he was Alan, so bad. <laughs> I remember Alan being at a game with you and we, we just player cammed him. And genuinely, like, he... He was the worst player ever. Like he, he couldn't. <laughs> he he looked in terrible shape. And Ulysses Gamboa, yeah, I found it in 2012, Argentinian. You're probably looking at his CV and thinking, oh, you know, he's like played in France, played in Italy. I mean, they signed him from Irony back in the day. Jesus. Um, and he was genuinely, he did not belong on that pitch. <laughs> What a name, though. Ulysses yeah, Gamboa. It is quite a good name. And then for Glasgow, I think maybe the oddest one was when they signed Carlin Isles. Yes, I was gonna, he was going to be mine. I mean, well, and he never actually played for Glasgow. He played for Air, and he played in the Glasgow team that won the Mamaroo Sevens. So yeah. did they sign him just as like a, a Sevens player? I, that seems pretty odd to me. So that was, yeah, probably the most bizarre bit of business. Alan, any more chuck in the mix? I don't think I have any weirder than Carlin Isles. I think Masango was a bit was probably one of one of the most disappointing signings. You kind of yeah. expected quite a lot more from from him, and ultimately, I'm trying to remember. Did he actually play any? I know he played a few preseason games, but I can't properly remember him playing any um, full kind of pro fourteen games. And then whilst he had like one or two kind of great showings, Naya, Naya Ravoro, when you see what he's doing for the Saints now, yeah, he never really quite kind of ticked for, for Glasgow. He had that one game, I think it was maybe the Scarlets, um, in the Champions Cup where he like absolutely demolished everyone. Um, but no, they both could, felt like they could have been quite big of important signings and just never really sort of materialised into anything. Yeah, I was going to chuck in um, David Tavita Tamalau, that um, American number eight that Glasgow signed last year, yeah. who never never quite got going. Um, and Robbie Fruin, it was obviously quite a sad story, but oh, yeah. he tipped up at Edinburgh, obviously off the back of really significant injuries and it was heart problems, wasn't it? He played a handful of games, scored a couple of tries when Edinburgh were playing at Myerside, and then uh, he had to essentially retire injured. It was a, quite a sad story. But when he was coming, I mean, 
if he had hit the heights that he was in like sort of 20, when it was it when he was amazing, like 2012 ish for the Crusaders, or. Yeah, um, the, the, yeah, that was a shame because it seemed like he had a few games that seemed like he sort of he was quite popular and well liked, and uh, he was sort of he put in a good shift and everything. Um, probably had like yeah. some other guys who come over from abroad. The other guy I just remembered was the the American guy, the the other American. Bat- yeah, the second row, Langi Langi Haupiakui, <laughs> who who remember he sort of he had like a bit of a reputation as like he loved the red card. And he could have he could have been quite interesting, and he played. It seems like he, he was signed from the Sacramento Express. Um, <laughs> he, he played. He had three caps for the U.S. and he played four games for the Warriors. And then he just he just disappears. Like he was never talked about again as to whether he had his contract like terminated or not renewed or, or where he went next. And I I don't know where he is now. It doesn't say. Yeah, I, I hope it's. This is a tradition that continues of Scot- Scottish clubs just making very, very strange signings. It's all. It's always great fun. Um, should I do? I've done a wee quiz, lads. I know it's a little bit. That's not, um, not the standard way of things. But I was really bored yesterday, so I went deep into Scottish rugby Wikipedia for like a little it. bit. Of, little bit of who am I? If you're if you're up for that, to finish things off. Just as a quick note, I've found um, <laughs> Mangi Langi Hopakui. Yeah. And he's currently playing centre in the California Rugby League um, <laughs> tournament. So he's playing, I mean, rugby, he's playing rugby league for the um, San Francisco Savage. I'm just watching... A, I'm just watching the the Glasgow against Leicester uh, live stream at the moment. It's, it is a really good watch, actually. And one of the most interesting matchups is Luke Hamilton was still at Leicester at the time. Oh, yeah. Um, playing number eight against Josh Strauss. And so far, 20 minutes in, Strauss is absolutely murdering him. Well, that, that was another interesting thing at the New Zealand stream, is that Luke, because obviously Luke Hamilton came on quite early, and he looked, he, he had a very, very good Scotland debut. Yeah. And then he's sort of completely fallen fallen by the wayside. Well, he's at Bristol now. Yeah, I'm sort of not completely fallen by the wayside. That's unfair. But Maybe in Scotland terms, though. Fallen out of favour. Um, right, you guys re- ready for a wee quiz to finish off? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so because you guys are both, if you want to answer, just say like stop or something like that. So we don't cover, you don't uh, yeah. talk over one another. Okay, who am I? I was born on the 25th of October, 1971, in Wellington, New Zealand. From 1996 to 1998, I played for the Wellington Hurricanes before moving to Edinburgh, becoming one of the first kilted Kiwis. From 1998 to 2003, I made 15 appearances for Edinburgh, scoring three tries. Any guesses yet? I've got an idea, but I need I need one more, I reckon. I made 37 appearances for Scotland, scoring 10 tries, including two in the famous win versus France in Stop. Paris. Night. Alan? John Leslie? Incorrect. <laughs> um, 
start. Is it Sean Lenin? Incorrect. Ah, ah, keep going then. At the 2003 World Cup, I was cited for stamping versus the USA and given a 12-week ban, ending my World Cup and effectively my international career. Okay. I made my debut alongside my brother versus South Africa. Oh, stop. Martin, Matt. Martin Leslie. Correct. Martin, Martin Leslie. There you go. I always thought it was funny that you only played, you only played 11 games for Edinburgh. He's purely brought over for Scottish rugby. Was he playing like club rugby at the time? I don't know. He, um, I was reading a little bit around him, and he basically said that they, he was at, he was at the Hurricanes, and John Leslie was at um, the Highlanders. Yeah. And then they they came over to Edinburgh, and they were talking. It was one of the early interviews. They were talking about the training, and they're like, "Oh, the skill set's not quite what I was used to back home." That <laughs> <laughs> dropped straight in. So there you go. That was Martin Leslie. It was it was nice to nice to to go back scored. For a back rower to score ten tries for Scotland, pretty decent, pretty decent return. Um, okay, number two, you ready? Yep. I was born fifth of November, nineteen eighty four, in Catterick, North Yorkshire. I was educated at Stuart's Melville and Dollar Academy. I played for Heriots for two, from 2003 to 2007 before joining Edinburgh, where I went on to make 61 caps, 61 appearances. I played 16 tournaments for the Scotland Seven side. I made 12 appearances for Scotland A, scoring one try. Come on, Stumel legend, anyone? <laughs> You got any ideas? <laughs> no, it's, it's tough. I had, I thought I had one. Someone I've got some more clues. Yeah, keep going. I trained with the full Scotland squad during the 2010 Six Nations and was then selected for the summer tour to Argentina, where I was one of four unused subs in the first test. Oh, I never stop, appeared. Stop, stop. Go on. Is it Jim Thompson? It's Jim Thompson. Yes. Very right, well done. He's also the grandson of Bill McLaren. Yeah, I didn't know I that. learned. I was thinking um, Lawson for a bit there. But. Yeah. Okay, last, last one. I was born on 16th of October 1983 in Marlborough, Wiltshire. Um, I was the joint top try scorer in the Scottish Premiership 2004-2005 season, scoring 16 tries for Harriets. I joined Edinburgh Rugby, scoring eight tries in my first 11 games before suffering two dislocated shoulders, ruling me out for the rest of the season. I made my Scotland debut in 2006, oh. scoring... Oh. Oh. No. The Rob Dewey? It is Rob Dewey. Oh. 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 I don't know if you get very, that. Very good shout. He's now a sheep farmer in St Andrews yeah. and coach of Madras under-18s. The big leagues. 
He actually played. He started all of the big games in the 2007 World Cup. He was a good player for a while. He he burned so bright. He only he essentially had 2007 was his only season he played for Scotland, and he made 11 appearances. That was it. World Cup, Six Nations, done. And then he went to Ulster, didn't he? Yeah, Ulster in 2007, and then came back to Glasgow briefly in 2009. Where Sean Lenin described him as a very big physical presence. So that was going to be a later clue. So yeah, there you go. It was very fun sort of uh, tracking tracking down those those names. Good show. Good. So it's one, it's one all. I don't have a, uh, a tiebreaker prepared. So we'll have to carry that into to next week. Right. Sounds good to me. All right, lads. Well, thanks very much for joining us. I know it's a slightly strange and disjointed podcast, and apologies if the uh, the sound quality is not up to what we usually put out. We are uh, making do from isolation. So uh, we're going to come back as much as we can, um, talking about bits and pieces of Scottish rugby. I'm sure the SRU will do something that will give us a talking point fairly soon. Um, so we'll come back and do as many pods as we can. Keep in touch with us on the Twitter, Thistle Rugby Pod, um, on there, on the Instagram. Alan is continuing to deliver great memes. That's Thistle underscore rugby underscore pod. And now you've got a bit of time on your hands, get into the mailbag, thethistlerugby at gmail.com. Tell us what you want to hear. Tell us some weird stories. Whatever you want to do, just get it in there. Um, and hey, we're, we read them all, and when we come back, we can maybe do a whole episode on correspondence. So that's it. Everyone enjoy, stay safe, wash your hands, and uh, we'll chat to you soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes. Ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.